Well, good morning, City Light. Uh, as Matt said, my name's Dave, and no, I'm not one of the pastors here, but I do have the honor and privilege to serve on the advisory team, which is soon transitioning to the elder team of our church. And I serve along with some great guys, and it's exciting to be a part of what God is doing here at City Light. Um, this, this church is unique. You don't find a church like this everywhere you go. And we have the opportunity just to see how God is on the move, and you know what? He's taking us along for the ride. And that's a great thing. You know, a while back, Eric and Doug asked if I would preach this summer. And I thought to myself, man, you have no idea what you're asking, you know. And what what were they thinking when they asked? Uh, And to top it off, you know, Eric, along with Chuck Kaiser, they went to the other side of the world just to avoid listening to me. (laughs) And, And Doug, Doug Stevens, our other pastor, he mumbled something about having to be out of town, you know. So here I am, but... Matt, Jason, Eric, you guys are here. Thanks for the moral support. Thanks for having my back. You know, and thanks for just showing up. Appreciate that. <laughs> you know, for, for my day job, I work at a ministry here in Council Bluffs called Deaf Missions. And four years ago, I transitioned out of pastoral ministry after many years and began a different season of ministry, working with this organization that translates the Bible into sign languages around the world. And when I told people that I was making this move to deaf missions, I was often asked the question, well, are you going to learn Braille? And I said, no. <laughs> they're, they're deaf, not blind. <laughs> but, but since I've been working there, I have been learning a little American Sign Language, a little ASL. And it's always a challenge to learn a new language because you have to be careful for some mistakes that you might, might make. Because with ASL, the the way you move your fingers, your hands, and even your face, it all communicates meaning. For example, this is the letter T. If if you put your thumb through your first two fingers, that's the letter T. But if you move your hand like this, that means you have to go to the bathroom. So so (laughs) be careful with that one. Face says, says a lot in communicating meanings with ASL. You know, if you raise your eyebrows up, that means you're excited, you're happy. If you crunch your eyebrows down, that means you're serious or you might be upset. The face says a lot. You know, my, my wife, Dory, and I, we've been married 26 years this month. And I, I can now simply glance at Dory's face and know exactly what she's thinking without ever her saying a word. Man, it's amazing. Uh, this is the letter F, three fingers up like this. And the letter F is used in different ways. If you use both hands and bring it up like that, that's the word important. If you go down like that, that's the word family. If you move the F shape in front of you like that, that means a sermon or preaching. And this is the sign for wonderful. Go ahead and practice that one. Just try that one. So really, those are the only two words you need to remember today. Wonderful sermon. All right, my work here is done. All right. Nothing, you know, there's one sign, honestly, that has continually to amaze me and impress me because of a strong visual picture, and that's the sign for the word trust, which is this, trust. It's a great visual image that shows when you trust something, you hold on to it, you you grasp it, we we grip it tight, and, and you never let it go. City Light, let me ask you this morning, what are you holding on to in life? What do you reach out for and and grab when life starts to crumble around you? What do you reach for and grab when things get tough just to simply pull you through one more day of your week? 
What do you grasp at and pull, pull, to try to pull yourself up maybe to the next job promotion, to the higher pay, seeking that, that next step up in the ladder? Who or what are you trusting in? This morning we continue our series through the book of Proverbs as we seek to follow the wisdom of Jesus. And Doug kicked it off a couple weeks ago by laying the foundation for the whole book, summing it up that simply to get wisdom. And last week, Eric set the bar a little higher, or maybe for Eric, is about down here. But, <laughs> but he did raise the standard. He raised the standard by showing us how Proverbs keeps us on mission. That reminding us that the mess of ministry is worth it. Because without the mess, we don't have the harvest. And our text today from Proverbs 3 reveals another perspective on wisdom. It shows us what true wisdom looks like and how to pursue it. This passage teaches us that wisdom is, is not about the list of your accomplishments. It's not about the length of your life the, or the level of your education. Wisdom is not about your SAT, your ACT, your PhD, or your DVDs. It has nothing to do with that. To boil it down to one simple statement... Wisdom is a life centered on and oriented around Jesus. It means grabbing a hold and, and trusting Jesus. Just a few short verses we want to focus on today. And I'd like to read it again, and as we do, I want to point out some key words that, that will guide our thoughts this morning. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and, and do not lean on your own understanding. But in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he, he will make your path straight. Be not wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and, and turn from evil. It will be healing for your flesh and refreshment for your bones. Three key words this morning that will help us live a life centered on Jesus. Trust, fear, and refresh. Trust in the Lord, the fear of the Lord, and refreshment from the Lord. So first, what, what does trust in the Lord look like? What does it look like to, to grab a hold of God with everything that you have? Well, Solomon, the author of Proverbs, answers that by addressing the level or degree of trust that God asks of us. Verse 5 kicks it off by saying, trust is done with all your heart. In other words, grab a hold of God completely and entirely. Now, many of us like to compartmentalize our lives, don't we? You know, we, we have the, the work mode where when we are at work and we are just zoned in and focused. We have the workout mode where we jump on the treadmill and put on the headphones and listen to Beyonce, you know. And some of you guys are thinking, how did you know? Then there's our home mode, there's our recreation mode, our vacation mode, and, and on and on it goes. Well, the, the latest medical research has revealed how the human mind is physically set up that way. A report just released shows that men have a specific zone in their brain that researchers are now calling the nothing box. Now, this is where us men go to think about nothing. So wives, when you, when you ask your husbands, what, what are you thinking about, and we say nothing, we truly mean nothing. I mean, it, it's legit. We're just hanging out in that part of our brain where we can blank out, and you know what? It's a beautiful place to be. 
Now, ladies, your minds are more kind of overlapping and interwoven like this intricate quilt pattern consisting of all these different pieces, but somehow you put it together and create a beautiful work of art out of it. On the other hand, men, our brains look and smell like a fishing tackle box, you know, all compartmentalized. Alongside with the nothing box, there, there's the work slot in the tackle box. There's, there's a family slot in the tackle box. There's a play portion, which usually takes up the entire bottom of the tackle box. <laughs> and ladies, you, you'll be glad to know that there's even a portion set aside for listening, although it's just a little tiny sliver over on the side. You know, unfortunately, we often approach our spiritual lives the same way, don't we? You know, men and women alike. We have the Sunday morning uh, box where it's okay to, to get deep. You know, it's okay to, you know, talk about spiritual things and, and where people ask you how you're doing, you can maybe go down a layer or two from the veneer level. We have our weekday work box where, where we're just a little too busy to get Jesus in there because we're focused on the business. There's the family box where it's all about prioritizing and getting the, the juggling of the schedules and transportation needs and getting the kids to the next practice, rehearsal, concert, school function just consumes us, and we're too busy to even slow down for one minute, yet alone think about Jesus. And on and on it goes. In my own life, I kind of experienced the, a reversal of that. There was a time when I served as a pastor where the church I was serving and, and myself were personally going through some really rough stuff. I was in the thick of it. I was pouring out my life into the church, into other people, trying to lead, ministering, pastoring, shepherding. And I kept doing so until my spiritual, emotional, and mental tank went dry. I was spent in every way. And when I would leave work and head home to be with the family in any way, I was there physically, but not emotionally, mentally, or I wasn't connected in any way. I'd left Jesus at the office, I'd left Jesus there, and I'd given all that I had to the point where I had nothing left to give my wife or my family. And as a result, they saw and felt and experienced the worst side of Dave. I'd put my trust in my own abilities, you see, to fix the problems. I, I was pastoring under the false premise that, if, you know, if I just worked harder, if I worked longer hours, if I got to the office earlier, if I strived to please more people and my, and my boss, then the ministry would go well, it'd get better, and it would grow. And to be honest, I was focused on the job of ministry and not the one that ministry is all about. That's not what Proverbs teaches us about trust, is it? I've had to learn in my own life that my trust needs to be oriented and centered on Jesus and not my job. Verse 5 tells us that our trust is to be in the Lord, first of all, and then comes that word all. In other words, trust God entirely with your life. No more compartments. Let, let Jesus into every space of our lives. Ask Jesus to take down those barriers so that it's nothing but Jesus in our life. That's where God wants us to be. Our trust is to be done with all of our heart, Scripture says. Now, when the Bible uses the word heart, it's, it's much different than the blood-pumping organ that, that we think of. It's the soul. It, it's the seat of your emotions. It's, it's your passions. It's your appetite. 
And in that sense, the heart becomes the motivating force behind trust. So think about it this way. Whatever you're hungry for in life, whatever you're passionate about, whatever stirs your emotions, those are the things that reveal your heart. Those are the things that reveal what are important to you. And ultimately, those are the things that you hang your life on, that you hold on to, the place where your trust lies. And Proverbs tells us to let that passion, let that hunger be the force behind your trust in the Lord. To put it another way, trust entirely, trust exclusively, exhaustively, and intensely in the Lord. And the cool part is that when we do, Scripture says that God will make straight your paths. Now, he's not saying that life will be easy, that there won't be any any bumps or obstacles, but he's talking about when we trust our lives, he's going to show us the course of life to take. He's going to give us the pattern of how we are to live our lives. And it's found priority in your life. When trusting in the Lord is at the forefront of your mind, when it's the priority in your life, then we will know the way to go in life. And what that means is no longer do we have to wander back and forth, bouncing from thing to thing, misguided, misdirected, without hope, without purpose. You see, a Jesus-centered life looks like trusting in the Lord with everything that you have, with everything that's about you. But it doesn't stop there. The second key word this morning is the word fear. A Jesus-centered life also means that we live with the healthy fear of the Lord. Now, often when we hear the word fear, we jump immediately to the synonym of scared. Now, to this day, I vividly remember taking my two children, Josh and Sarah, on a ride at Disney World called the Tower of Terror. Now, this was back in 2006, so they were 8 and 10 at the time, so the ride was a little more impactful uh, in their lives. But the line for the ride was, was of course, just insanely long. And Disney had designed it that while you're waiting, um, it builds the anticipation and the expectation of the pending fear that's coming your way. So for the entire four or five hours that we're standing in line, you know, Josh and Sarah, they're, they're taking all this in. You know, they're looking at the signs, they're looking at the stuff that, that they've set up, and, and as we're waiting, their fear is slowly rising to the point where when, when we got to the front of the line and we're, we're ready to get into our seats, both Josh and Sarah are literally begging and pleading, Daddy, Daddy, please don't take me on this ride, please. To which I replied with some parental wisdom, like, you're going to get in that seat and you're going to like it, you know? <laughs> Been waiting for five hours. We're going to do this. You know, not one of my finer moments as a dad. But despite my failure with a parental wisdom that day, we did come away with a really great picture of us going down the slide. And it shows both kids trying to bury their head into me and the, the, the fear that's on their face. So let's show that first picture. So that, that's us down in the lower right-hand corner. Now let, let's zoom in and look at the next picture. There we are. You can see utter fear and terror on their face. And I'm in the middle laughing in a kind of a sinister way, you know. <laughs> now, for my 8- and 10-year-old kids at the, at the time, something like the Tower of Terror is a, is a frightening thing. But however, that feeling of being scared is not the concept or, or basis behind the biblical command to fear the Lord. 
The fear of the Lord means that, that you live your life with a reverent respect of who God is and what he has done. Reverence might from time to so awareness of who he is. And that reverence might from time to time mean that you're afraid because it's a scary thing to stand in the presence of a holy God. Because the holiness of God reveals just how much we need a Savior. It reveals our sinfulness. In the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah experienced this when he had a vision of the Lord. And he saw the Lord sit, sitting on a throne. And Isaiah writes in chapter 6, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe, that train that filled the temple. And above him were seraphim, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of, the, of your glory. And then it says, the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And Isaiah said, woe is me, I am lost, for I'm a man of unclean lips. I have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. When we begin to experience the holiness of God as Isaiah did, that holiness is a powerful thing. And all you can do sometimes is cry along with the prophet Isaiah, woe is me. In other words, I'm done for, I'm, I'm ruined, I'm a goner. Because when we see the holiness of God, we begin to see ourselves as we truly are, as sinners in need of a Savior. See, the holiness of God in us brings us to a fear of God, which in turn, as our scripture says, creates a desire to turn away from those things that God calls evil. See, the fear of the Lord brings us to a place of response. It's a call for action. See, wisdom in, of the Proverbs always calls for action on our part. And here our scripture today tells us to turn away, to stop, to cease doing evil and redirect your life towards the one who is holy. In other words, to center or recenter our lives on God's one and only son, Jesus. So the passage from Proverbs today contains these imperative commands to trust and to fear. But, but that's not all. This isn't the only... It isn't only about commands to obey. As we follow it through to the end of verse 8, we see that it concludes with a beautiful picture and a promise. And as I studied the text, this, this final portion of, of, of the passage today became more and more powerful, more enticing, so very real, so full of anticipation and opportunity and potential to impact lives and my life because it culminates and lies the heart of the gospel, following wisdom. The third key word, and herein lies the heart of the gospel, is that when we trust the Lord with everything that we have, when we fear the Lord, then comes a healing. Then comes refreshment from the Lord. Now, as I was studying this passage, I noticed the footnote of this verse at the bottom of my page in my Bible, and it says that the word for flesh is actually the Hebrew word navel, as in your belly button. Now, I'm not making this up. It's right there in my footnotes. And I thought to myself, well, that doesn't sound very theological. You know, it will be healing for my belly button. But that's what Scripture says. It's right there. You know, I didn't even know my belly button needed healing. Maybe a little cleaning, but healing, who knew? But, but like the word heart used in Scripture, the word navel translated into English as flesh means a whole lot more. 
Now, think of it this way. Your navel is the point where your mother's umbilical cord was joined to you. It provided, provides us with that life-giving nourishment that we needed to grow. It was our source of life when we were developed and created in the womb. And our lives in those early stages of development could not exist without the umbilical cord. Without it, we wouldn't be here today. And your belly button is there as a reminder of that. So when Proverbs tells us that trusting in the Lord and fearing the Lord will be healing for your flesh, it means something a whole lot deeper than surface level first aid, doesn't it? It's a whole lot more than than a band-aid on the skin knees of life. It's a whole lot more than external behavior modification. We're talking about real, lasting healing for your soul. A lasting nourishment that only Jesus can bring. Healing for your life. Refreshment down to the very bones of your existence. City Light, the gospel message is that Jesus and only Jesus can heal down to the deepest part of your life. He brings restoration, restorative nourishment to the very foundation of our existence. And he does so because he is the only one who has dealt with the sin issue once and for all. So all the vacation getaways that you can take cannot provide that level of refreshment. All the stuff you can buy, all the money you can blow, all the relationships that you can bounce from and to will not deal with the deepest need of our lives. Only Jesus can. Only Jesus heals at the, at the source of life level, at the belly button level. He heals to the point where we are refreshed, where we are renewed, where we are restored and reborn, where we are given a, a whole new life from the inside out. Colossians chapter 1, verse 17, tells us that Jesus is before all things, and in him all things hold together, including you and me. Jesus is the author of life, he's the giver of life, and the sustainer of life. Jesus even called himself the living water. Therefore, we can drink deep of Jesus. And when we do, we find spiritual refreshment, spiritual rebirth. So take a long, refreshing, renewing drink of Jesus. You know, every time that I jump into my truck in the mornings, I put the key into the ignition and I turn the key and I trust that my truck is going to function as designed. In other words, it's going to start and it's going to get me down the road. But when I put that key in the ignition and, and I turn it, there's a series of key events that occur to make that happen. Steps take place, like the right mixture of fuel and air is shot into each of the eight cylinders, and then a spark plug ignites that combination, causing a controlled explosion, which drives the piston down. And that happens sequentially in all eight cylinders. And when when all eight cylinders are moving up and down, it it turns a crankshaft, and through a series of gears, um, that powers the drive shaft which turns the wheels, which allows my truck to back out of the driveway and me to go to work. Now, for all you mechanics here, forgive me for that oversimplification and possibly quite wrong description. But what I do know, what I do know is this, that I trust my vehicle to function as designed every time I get into it. Now, City Light, we have been created 
to serve our God. By our very design, we have been formed and put together in the image of the one who made us. And if we are designed that way, then wisdom says it's best to function that way. That's the message of Proverbs this morning. If Jesus is the author, creator, and sustainer of our lives, true wisdom says that we are to live our lives centered and oriented around that same Jesus. So let me encourage you, challenge you today. You know, he made us. He created us. He sustained us. So put your trust in him. Grab a hold of Jesus and hold on. Never let go. Trust in the one who made you. Live with reverent fear of the one who designed you. And that same one, that same one who made you, he is the one and the only one who will bring lasting, eternal healing to your life. So stop pushing against him and begin to live as you were made to live. Put your trust in Jesus today. Hold on and never let go. Let let me pray this morning. Father, I thank you that you sent your son Jesus to us. You sent your son Jesus to deal with that sin problem once and for all. And as he did, Lord, you offer us that healing, that restoration, that renewal that only you can give. So, Father, I pray that today, We will let Jesus into every aspect of our lives. Allow Jesus to take down those barriers so that it's nothing but Jesus in us. And when we do, we can experience that promise of healing and refreshment. So, Father, work in us today. Stir in us. Draw us closer to you so that our lives may be lived in such a way that brings you glory. And we pray this in, in Jesus' name.